Well, good evening again, and greetings in the name of Jesus, our dear Lord and Savior. I have thoroughly enjoyed fellowshipping and ministering and serving together this week. And thank you for the blessing, and I have two words I'd like to share with you. Two. The two words are, thank you. (laughs) I have been so blessed on behalf of my family. I've been so blessed. I don't know, sometimes I jot a few things down to say, thank you for And I know I'll forget some of the things that I should be thanking you as a congregation for, but the many, many prayers and the prayer support, flowers that uh, showed up at uh, our door in Lebanon, all the good food that was in our apartment and shared throughout our stay, thank you. The basket of goodies was just a bit overwhelming. Uh, All those thank you notes tucked inside that were personal. I indulged in those this afternoon. Just looking at uh, some of the specific uh, ways that God spoke to you was just a bit overwhelming. So thank you so, so much. To the young men here, the boys that uh, spent some time with my son Hans uh, on Saturday, thank you. I I can't tell you what that means to me to bring my son out here and have him uh, make some acquaintances and, and friends. You folks are a very, very warm congregation. Uh, Yeah, again, the notes of encouragement and all the prayers. The directory. I I told somebody I feel kind of like somebody that, I mean, you know, there's a grandchild born and grandpa and grandma should see the grandchild first. And I felt like I kind of got in the way and got a hold of the first directory. Somebody had it on their computer and printed it out and I thank you for that. Whoever did that, that was a tremendous blessing. That is going to just, that has helped me tremendously to put names to to, uh, faces, and it's going to help me, I will treasure that. I will go back to that often, I'm sure, and I will just, uh, that that will help help me pray for you all. I once had a friend, or I should say I have a friend, that once once shared a message, and he he preached an entire message on blessing specifically every person in the church. Actually, it is biblical. You can find whole chapters in the Bible that, uh, that that's basically what Paul does. Name somebody and then blesses them. And I would love to tackle that one. I'd love to tackle it right here. But I don't think I'll do that tonight. But I just want to say thank you so much. You all have been such a blessing to me. I have, uh, I've gotten glimpses into some of your journeys that, that I treasure, and I know some of you are going through some difficult times. You have health journeys right here in the congregation, and I have heard intercessions on behalf of that, and I just want to bless you and encourage you. May God strengthen you and give you the grace that he needs. And I do, I alluded to the fact that I have a mentality when I come to a congregation like this, and I call it the mailman mentality. So I'll, all I try to do is get the mail and drop it off in the mailbox, nothing more, nothing less. And maybe you're different than I am, but I normally don't, uh, mailman drops my mail off. I don't, if he brought me something that was really nice, I don't run him down and say, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just... I thank the one that it came from. And you know, 
If anything came to you that's been an asset, it's been a blessing, all good gifts come from the Father above. So I just want to be a mailman. And maybe something came that, didn't, that you didn't think was your mail. Then I'd assume full responsibility. Okay? Because I don't really like when my mailman drops by somebody else's mail. Then I got to drop it back in the mailbox and so on. And uh, I've been attempting to discern what the Lord would have for this congregation here. And I'll be honest, sometimes I come to the last night and I look back and, oh, why did I say this or why did I do that? And, and then there's all these things that I didn't say. And that's just, I guess that's just the struggle of a, of a mailman. So thank you for allowing me to be your mailman. So one more time. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. So I'm going to give you one more chance. Is there anybody here that would like to stand to their feet and have, I like to call it, a little bit of overcoming power because I believe it. I really believe that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Something happens when you open your mouth. Go. Give you that opportunity. Maybe, maybe you hear this. Maybe you hear and want to say something. Maybe you want to just stand up and say, "Here's my I will, I will," and then somebody else will hear it. And they can pray for you and maybe even hold you accountable. Uh, maybe it's something you heard. One last chance. Anyone? God bless you, brother. All heaven, I believe all heaven comes down when we say, I will. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, that's fine. Thank you again. And I want to go into the message and... Never sure what to share on the last night. Part of me wants to just kind of like throw out the lifeline again for somebody that isn't saved. It's not the way the Lord led me tonight. So let me just say right up front, if you're not saved and you would like to become a Christian... You can do it tonight. You can do it. Even though I'm planning to preach a message on encouragement for the church, God can even speak to you through an encouragement to the church that you would give your heart to Jesus. If you're here tonight and God is speaking to your heart about becoming a Christian, please, without Jesus, I just want to tell you one more time, you have no hope, nothing to look forward to, nothing. Those that are without Christ have no hope. Let it sink in. So if God spoke to you about your sin nature and is calling you gently to the cross, please do it. You can do that anytime. Uh, in fact, you can tap your dad right now and say, can we go pray? That, that, I was in a... Uh, in a school setting one time. And we were just talking. One young man stood up and he started talking. Testimony time is actually fairly important. Open it up for testimony. One young man stood up and he just kind of led the way. 
and then another person, another person, another person, another person, another person. And it was one of those times where everybody just got vulnerable. And after about 20 minutes of that, in a school setting, there was a, there was a, a, a young lady there that had not given her heart to the Lord, and she just started crying. She, she became a Christian in a school setting. It was such a blessing. So anyway, uh, there is no prescribed way for a person to become a Christian. If you want to become a Christian, please do not tarry. Tonight, I want to encourage the church. I want to encourage the church to finish the race. That's my burden tonight. Finish the race. Finish it. There was a man, well, let me say it like this. One day there was a race. The year was 1983. Sydney, Australia was the place. An ultra marathon was the event. Sydney to Melbourne, if you're into geography of of Australia. Now, I've heard of 5Ks. I've heard of 10Ks. I've heard of half marathons. I've heard of marathons. And I've no pe- and I know people that ran them all. I'm curious. Anybody here ran a 5k? Okay, good. Anybody a 10k? Well, I'll probably narrow it down to uh, ultra marathon. That's 543 miles. So that's about, I should have did my math, that's probably about what I plan to drive tomorrow. It's a long ways, 543 miles. I wonder if I would ask for volunteers, would anybody be in? Let's do an ultra marathon. Well, 1983, ultra marathon, 150 world-class runners show up. Sculpted bodies, running gear, glistening running shoes. I mean, ready to go. Ultra marathon. This is a big deal. On the day of the race, true story, day of the race, a 61-year-old potato farmer shows up without any teeth. (laughs) He was wearing overalls, and work boots, kind of like a, what I call a tingly boot, okay? And he makes his way over to the registration table, and he asks to sign up. And the skeptical staff look at him, and they say, have you run a race? He says, no. Have you trained? No. What brings you here? I'd like to run the race, They didn't know what to do. So the skeptical staff gave him number 64. And he lined up with the other pros. And the gun went off. And the bystanders started snickering as this 61-year-old potato farmer is left in the dust with his overalls and boots. The Snickers kind of broke into uh, laughs as they watched him start running. I mean, these, the pros know how to run. There's a, there's a right form in running. 
His name was Cliff Young. Interesting study. Look him up. He had, he had what they call the Cliff Young shuffle. He kind of just went like, kind of like a, a... And the other guys were pros. They knew how to run. Well, somebody was started saying, you know, we all stopped the guy. The old guy's going to kill himself. What do you do? You run out and stop a 61-year-old man from running? Well, I guess let nature take its course and he'll probably get a mile or two and, and it'll be all over. Well, everybody knew. There, there was science in the, in the ultramarathon. The science was you run 18 hours, you stop, you sleep six, repeat. Not Cliff. He... He had this steady shuffle, and he just shuffled his way along. He somehow was able to have his downtime much less. They ran hard or harder, slept six, ran hard. He just kept that steady pace, steady shuffle. Five days, 15 hours, four minutes, Later, a man, yeah, shuffled across the finish line. First place. Not by a minute, not by an hour, not... It was nine hours and 56 minutes. Number two ran across the the finish line. Oh, the first thing Cliff Young did is put his teeth back in because he said, when I take it, when I run one, my teeth just rattle. So he put his teeth back in and, you know, it's just, he's just no show, just a, a normal, normal guy. No professional gear, no training, 61 years of experience. He was, he would often round up his sheep. What did he have? 2,000 two sheep on some 2,000 acres. And he didn't have the luxury of horses or four-wheel drives. A four-wheel drive. Sometimes his sheep required him to run on three days on end. I mean, the man knew how to endure. What he said, he said, sometimes when I was just so tired, I just couldn't go anymore. I would visualize. I would put a mental picture of my sheep. And it just helped me, he said, after he won the race. It helped me just keep on going because I was running for something. I was rounding them up. I was rounding my, my sheep up. Wow. Well, interestingly enough, the professional runners started uh, uh, studying this man's shuffle, and some of them actually adopted it because it, it had some aerodynamic uh, science to it and some energy efficiency and so on. Oh, by the way, his prize was $10,000. Cliff said, oh, there's a prize. I didn't know. He said, I don't need it. He said, I make $2,000 every year. I don't need 10000 So he took his 10000 and divided up to all the other runners. I like Cliff. Well, that's an interesting story. But behind that story is a point. And that's the point that I, the point that I want to drive home tonight is victory in the Christian life is going to come through endurance. It's going to come knowing how to run and to run steady. 
The Christian life is not about a 100-yard dash. It's more about a marathon or an ultra marathon. Short distance, it's all about speed and a dash. But the long run, it's about endurance. And I ask you tonight, what race are you running? Are you running a race to endure? Do you have an endurance mentality? Do you have a, I will finish, I will endure? That's my encouragement to you. The Bible often references the Christian life as a race. Another analogy is a warfare. Brothers and sisters, you know that you're not going to find the Christian life pictured as a picnic or pictured as something easy. The Christian life is like a race that needs to be run. One of the saddest pictures that I have seen is when someone gives up. I've lived long enough and I've ran long enough to witness some folks that made an impressive dash. They got their wows. They may even had their pro gear and give it some time and they, in some way, shape, or form, said, it's not worth it. I'm going to give up. Maybe not in their mouth, but in what the Bible says and what they live out is two different things. That's one of the saddest pictures. The Bible says in Galatians, you did run well, but who did hinder you? My brother, my sister, don't let that be your testimony. You did run well, but who did hinder you? The Bible says also, Jesus himself in relation to the end time says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Join me for the, the text that I'd like to use tonight in Hebrews 12. Maybe you already guessed it. Hebrews 12, where we find the analogy of a race. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you three principles, three simple principles tonight that I am convinced are going to help you and in fact assure you that you'll finish the race. Three. From the text, Hebrews 12 Join me as I read. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and Faint, where? In your mind. Father, tonight we embrace this beautiful text and we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to every one of us. You see the journey ahead. You see the path. And Father, we need 
encouragement. We need strength. We need grace. We need power. Oh, Heavenly Father, meet every need here tonight. Encourage us that every one of us will determine in our heart to run the race. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're back to Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, Wherefore? A wise man once told me, and I've heard it many times since, whenever you come to a wherefore or a therefore, don't ever just continue reading, but just stop, at least for a minute, meditate. Why is the word therefore or wherefore? What's it there for? Well, uh, context is, is everything. And in this passage, I, I thought, okay, context, we've got Hebrews 11. That's the context. So it's faith. And that is true. But I stopped and I wasn't satisfied with that. I said, that's just, exa- that's just word picture after word picture. I mean, I'm sorry, life picture after life picture after life picture. Uh, it is, Hebrews 11 starts off with now faith. So maybe it's faith. And I went back a little bit further. Here's my, here's my assumption. My assumption is the wherefore... In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, you got to go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, where it says, Now the just shall live by faith. So it is faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I just personally believe that that's what the wherefore is going all the way back for, because, and then with Hebrews 11, that's basically picture after picture after picture of people that had that kind of faith, that will not turn back. I mean, I like the first part of Hebrews 11. I love reading about Enoch, and he didn't die. I like Noah, survived the flood. I like Abraham, had a child at 100, descendants like the sand of the sea, stars. Wow, I like Moses. I mean, he split the Red Sea. The Egyptians, Egyptians tried it. They perished in the sea. Wow, and these, these to me are like wow pictures. And I like uh, the walls of Jericho falling. Wow. I, and now we come to verse 32 in Hebrews 11, and it says, uh, very famous preacher verse right there. Oh, time would fail me <laughs> to say everything I want to say. That's what, that's, what he, that's what verse 32 says. And then there's kind of a, a, a shift of, of, he shifts gears a little bit. And then the last part of Hebrews 11, we don't hear as much about. We, and others. It's kind of like sub-point of others. No names, but and, and the subpoints are mocked in a very cruel way, scourged. They were in bonds. They were in prison. They were actually stoned and sawn asunder. They wandered about. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented. The world wasn't worthy of them. That's faith. That's enduring. That's running the race. And I wonder, I think I've said it before, but you look down the land, uh, the horizon and, and I don't know. I don't know. Don't know what we're going to face, what you're going to face, but 
Oh, I know. I do know one thing. We need a mentality that says, I'm going to run the race to the finish line. I'm going to make it to the finish line. It doesn't matter what comes. I'm going to make it. Three points in the text that I read that are going to leave with you that I think are very simple and actually, for the, I'm going to use the letter L for the sake of alliteration so, you, so we can remember them. Here they are. Number one, lay aside. Number two, last. Number three, look. I'm just going to expound on those three words just a little bit. Number one, lay aside. And again, this is all in the context of finishing the race. It's all in the context of, of having a steady sh- uh, I'm gonna shuffle, if, if I can use it for the uh, analogy. S- lay aside every weight and sin. It's almost like it's two different things. I used to think it was one. Weights. What's a weight? I... I, I just think this is something that's not really wrong. It's not sin. It's just something that's going to slow you down. I'm not going to attempt to make a category of here's the weights in my life or your life, but we must be sensitive to what's a weight. There are multitude of weights. In fact, the casualties that I think in my lifetime I have seen I have seen people, I will, I'm going to run, and then they stop running. And I think it's because a weight had a lot to do with it. I would never run a weight with a backpack of unnecessary things. You just take, the, take, just take what, it, what, you, what you need, weights. And then secondly, sin. And I don't really plan to expound on sin. Because you know. You know, and I know, if I'm doing something and carrying something in my life that's wrong. You know. And I want to say this. If, if you're living in sin, don't expect to finish the race. You won't. You won't. It, willful sin. I'm not talking about God, I'm so sorry. I sinned. And we have an advocate with the Father. I'm talking about, ah, I can do, I, I can handle this. I can do, it's wrong. I know it's wrong. But I'm, and it becomes a lifestyle. Back to the garden. I am shocked how, how the strategy of Satan can actually take a person from maybe a three or four or five year process where they just incorporate something at one time. They knew it's wrong. They knew it. And it becomes a lifestyle. Sin, you won't finish the race with sin. Weights, that one's, that one's tough. Let me tell you, uh, let, me, let me illustrate it. Maybe you heard of the, the Franklin Expedition. Was it back in 1845? The Lord Franklin said, I'm going to find a passage across the Arctic Ocean. And from England, they set sail. Wow, it was a big deal. They... 
they loaded their sailing ships up, and it was a lot of pump and a lot of show. They loaded up, they loaded up a 1,200-volume library on, the, on these ships. They took along with them fine china, crystal goblets, sterling silverware with, for all the officers. Everybody had their initials graved onto the handles. It was, it was a big deal. If you read a little bit of history, you know that it didn't go well. The ships became trapped in the frozen plains of ice, and after, uh, after some time, Lord Franklin himself died, and some of the men decided they were going to tr- make a trek to safety and somehow uh, had some array of hope. Not one survived. That's a sad story. But I heard a little glimpse of that story that made it sadder still. They found two officers pulling a large sled. They found them 65 miles from the the ship. And when they found the bodies, they discovered that they were pulling a sled and on the sled was all the Sterling silverware with all their initials graved on. Now, I don't know if that would have made any difference if they would have laid that weight aside, but it only added to their demise. And I wonder, I wonder, do I do that? Do you do? How are we doing the same thing? Do we go through life with baggage that we shouldn't take along? evil thoughts, bad habits, and so on and so on. Lay aside every weight, every sin. What is God calling you? Maybe we should have a moment of quiet time. Maybe I should have a moment of quiet time right now and ask myself honestly, is God asking me or pointing out a weight in in my life? What are the weights? that are bogging you down? Or what might the sin be? The sin could be unbelief. Some I've heard it said that that scripture is all about unbelief. And maybe that's true. I don't think I want to narrow it down to one sin or one weight. What's the sin? What's the weight? I wonder, uh, I wonder if what I, how I would respond if Jesus would come to me and say, and he would love me. And look me in the eye and say, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. I don't think that's God's call for everyone. I find some of the disciples had personal property. But I think there are people that have that heart that maybe God would say that to them. I wonder, I wonder tonight what God would say to me. But the point is, seriously ask God, what is the weight? What is the sin that would cause me to stumble or not finish, finish the race? The Bible does say that no man goes to war and entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, I don't know how to unpack that whole verse. Nobody with a soldier mindset is going to be all entangled with the affairs of this life. That's in Second uh, Timothy 2. I... I don't know. Lay aside, lay aside, lay aside. Number two, last. In other words, where I get the word last is run with patience 
or run, probably a better rendering of the word would be run with endurance, endure, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. Expect hard times. I remember my mom. My mother passed away in 2015. I love my mother. Sometimes you don't know what you've got until they're gone. Some of you can identify. My mother would say, I remember as a little boy, my mother would say, son, you have no idea what you might face in your lifetime. And I kind of got callous to it. But in other words, what she was saying, she was saying, son, just have a mindset to endure. Endure. Last. That's the, that's the, that's the, the second point. Last. And I think the illustration that I gave in the, in the story in the beginning of, of the runner, Cliff Young, illustrates this. It's so much of a mindset. Let me say this. Uh, there are times in life where the struggle becomes so intense. I, I really believe sometimes we get so tired and sometimes in, in, the, in, in the steady race of life, that maybe there's a day, and in fact, I think there's seasons that... The, at best, you just brace yourself and it's kind of like a tornado or a head, the headwind is so strong and you just hold on and you try not to lose ground. I really believe that there's seasons in life where all you can do is just hold on through the storm. Lay hold of eternal life as the, as, uh, the, one, the one scripture says. Just hold on and and then maybe when the winds stop blowing, and then you start going again. I am convinced that we need a mindset to expect the storms of life, to expect a tremendous headwind. Sometimes we get tired. I've, I love all people. I, I get, sometimes I categorize you. As, when I'm with youth, I, I talk, oh, I just love the youth. I do. And I have children's meeting. I love the children. Oh, by the way, I, saw, I forgot to say thank you to you children. You blessed me so much with your, with your uh, eagerness and your uh, vivaciousness and all of that. And I, I get excited with children. I get excited with youth. I get excited with uh, middle-aged people. I got a group of people that are starting to really, really, really become my heroes. And they're the ones that have a lot, a lot of gray hair. Here's why. They have ran a long, most of them have ran a lot longer than I have. I, I could name a few. That back in my area, one man, 80-some years old, as steady as steady can be steady. I mean, he is such a blessing. He got up in a seminar one time, and he's not necessarily a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a, a real dynamic speaker, but oh, when he spoke, it just was so good. He was talking about serving God in his, in, in the, in his aged years. I forget what the title. And it was such a blessing to me because I knew everything behind his whole life was just yelling, amen, amen, amen. He got done. He sat down. Somebody from his church stood up in the seminar. And he said, let me say a word about this man. <laughs> Got everybody's attention. And the man from his church said, everything he said, he lives 100%. What, what's my point? 
I am really starting to appreciate those men that served and lived and ran for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, in this case, 60-some years. I, they're my heroes. I have a lot of heroes, but I just wanted to, to say that. And I just want to encourage everyone. Maybe you're here in that season of your life. I just want to bless you and encourage you. And those of us that are kind of, that's the next chapter of our, of our life. That, that's, that's who we want to be, right? We want to be those, those men that, that are solid, steady. That somebody doesn't have to say, oh, you ran well, but who hindered you? Who'd you start listening to? I've seen my share of sprinters, and I've been impressed with some dashes, but I've had too many disappointments when the race got hard. That's when it happens, when the winds blow and the race gets hard. That's the test. Lay aside, last, finally, look. And this is so simple, right? I mean, lay aside, last, look. That's what it says, looking unto Jesus. And I just want to ask you, I ask myself, where is my focus? That has so much to do with this uh, issue of, of uh, the race. Where, where are you looking? Where am I looking? You know where I'm prone to look when it gets difficult? Or maybe just any time. I'm so prone to look to myself. And I'm so prone to look to others. And I'm so prone to focus on the problems. I'm so prone to be like Peter. He looked to Jesus and then he saw the winds and the waves and he checked. And then when he got his eyes on the waves, you know what happened. Down he went. And that is so human. It is so human. I get it. You get it. Looking unto Jesus. Another story. This time we're going into the, into the water. There was somebody that was a professional swimmer. And I'm not so much into professional swimming. But I was reading an article one time how this one person uh, swam the English Channel maybe once, maybe twice. I forget. It's pretty impressive. And one day this professional swimmer said, I'm going to swim Catalina Island to mainland California. 30 miles, dangerous water. I'm going to do it. So... Off this swimmer goes. Swimming and swimming and swimming. Fifth, or started early in the morning, swam for 15 hours. And then she's getting closer, and all of a sudden, some heavy fog set in. An intense fog where she just couldn't see. Kept swimming, kept swimming, kept swimming. In fact, there was a boat right next to this swimmer with, uh, I'm told uh, the swimmer's mother was on the boat and a few other people. And uh, there was so much encouragement going, swim, you, you, we got to be close. But they couldn't see. You got to be close. You got to be close. And swimming and swimming, finally said, I'm done. I can't. I can't. I'm done. I no, you can. Okay, one last shot of energy. And finally... She said, I am done. I don't care what anybody says. And she gets into the boat. And you probably know the story. They row just, I forget exactly how far, but it wasn't far at all. And there was mainland. 
in an interview the next day, she said, if I could have saw the mainland, I know that I could have finished the swim. It's something about that visual, but I could, it was just fog. And I admit, and I agree, and I know that sometimes the fog is intense. And I don't know what your fog is, but I know you're going to face some fog. And my question to you is, do you have the faith to see through the fog and look to Jesus? Through the fog, I want you to be able to see Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher of your faith. I wonder if you tonight have the faith, the confident belief, the hope, if you will, confident hope, and there you see him. 100% through the eyes of faith. And there you see through the fog. You see the arms that are stretched out. You Look! I see the scars. I see the scars. Do you see them? Do you see them outstretched hands through the fog by faith? Do you see them? Do you see the tender love in his eyes? Do you hear him say, run, run. You can run. You can. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Can you hear him say, I am touched with the feelings of your infirmities. I understand it behooved him to become just like us so he could empathize with us through the fog. Can you see Jesus? Are you tonight looking unto Jesus? That's going to make the difference. For you, that will make the difference for me. He went before us. He's the forerunner. Oh, but then it says, consider him. Now, this is kind of the, under the same point of looking in verse 3. Consider. That word consider, if you really boil it down and break it down, you're going to have the root word of analogy. Make an analogy. So, if I understand the scripture right, we are supposed to consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. In other words, lest you quit. So, so what, I, what I should do in considering him is make an analogy. Make the analogy of, here's me and my fog. Here's Jesus and his, I don't want to say fog, but his, I'm going to compare. I'm going to make a comparison. And when I do that, and, oh, the man that was fully God and yet became fully man, that, condes- that, that love in con- the condensation or uh, condescension and the choice to become born in, a po- in, a, in, a, in poverty, had his life threatened as a baby. He had no place to lay his head. In other words, no comfort zone. He had extreme opposition all through his life. He was charged with being out of his mind. He, in fact, would do great things and they would mutter, he did it in the devil's power. 
He was opposed by family. He was rejected. He was hated by audiences. He was betrayed by very close friends. He was left alone. He was forsaken. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was blindfolded and told, asked who slapped him. He was put to death the most cruel way a person could. And now I'm called when I'm running and I face the fog to consider him, consider Jesus, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I'm telling you without a shadow of a doubt tonight that if you make that choice to keep, number one, lay aside sins, weights, last mentality, I'm going to make it by God's grace and look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, I find it interesting that we go right into the next subject and the sub- next subject in Hebrews 12 is, you know what it is? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That's a whole other subject, but it's so closely related. Run, my brother. Run, my sister. Finish strong. So run that you may obtain. Paul writes to the Corinthians. You know what I think the main responsibility? Well, sometimes I say things and I and I try and I'm and they're unbalanced. One of the one of the one of the great responsibilities of the church is to make sure we all make it home. I remember a pastor, I don't, I've never done it, probably never will. There was a death in the congregation, an older person, and the pastor, I don't know if it was over the hotline or how he said it, another one's home! (laughs) Do we have a mindset to run? That's the neat thing about this kind of a race. I'm not looking back and making sure I'm one step ahead of my brother or or my sister. I'm just running. We're running together. We got our arms around each other, and we're going home. And if one person stumbles, if one person slips, we all kind of just stop, and we help them along And we because we all want to make it home. Is it possible tonight that every person sitting here in this congregation will make it home. Like I said, one of the saddest pictures in my entire life and in my race is seeing people that just make a choice. You can sometimes you can help all you want. Just come. No. I trust that there's not one person here that will fall by the wayside. Like Hebrews 10, verse 38, but everyone will make it home. I, would, I want to leave you with that encouragement. Don't forget it. It's a race. Not all finish, but we all can. The grace is there. Can you say it? Can, can, can you remember those? Lay aside, last, and look. I am so convinced that that's where it's at. I'm convinced that you do those three, they're so simple. 
children can understand it. Well, at least uh, remember the words. And sooner, soon and very soon, we'll be home. God bless you, keep you, strengthen you. And sooner than later, if we don't meet here, I believe we'll meet in the air. God bless you. Let's finish the race. Let's all stand for a closing prayer. Father, here we are. It's us. We're your children. We're running the race. You gave us a picture tonight in your word. You pictured us racing, running. And we, we hear you, Lord. We hear you. We can't expect to finish if we don't lay aside. We can't expect to finish if we're just running a, just kind of like an impressive dash. And we really can't expect to finish if we don't keep our focus on you. So God, by your grace and by your mercy, help each one of us to lay aside, to last, and ultimately, ultimately to look to Jesus. And I am convinced that in so doing, we won't even realize it as we run, but we're going to have our arms around so many and we're going to make it home. So bless. Dear Jesus, bless this congregation far more than any man can articulate. Bless them with the strength. Bless them with the unity. Bless them with the vision to run and to run with faith and passion and zeal. And help each one of us, Lord, to lock arms around each other as we run. We see you, Jesus. We see you by faith. And that motivates us to run. So bless us and make us a blessing. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.